0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Rittman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message.
1: So it might have been a little bit of a surprise to you, that um, we were scheduled to have Ethan Taylor with us today. But uh, Ethan has been going through a lot of sickness lately and just was not able to pull it off. And uh, he contacted me on Thursday and said, but I've already spoken to Joel Gregory. He's ready to go and, and wants to share with you guys. And uh, I was happy and excited about that because we've had Joel before. Uh, he's been here and I've always enjoyed him. He's just a great young man and uh, thankful for his ministries. He serves uh, right now on the campus at Norton Church and is very involved in ministries there. Um, We're glad. You could be praying for Joel because in, what, two weeks and two days, something like that, he will be going through the rigors of his uh, licensure examination. So we get to pound on him all morning that day. So uh, it'll be a great time. And Uh, He and and two of our staff guys, I think, are going to go through that day. So it's really going to be an exciting day of learning God's Word from them. But we get the privilege of hearing Joel today and learning from him now. So thank you
0: so much, Joel. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you all. Like Bud said, my name is Joel, and I am at the uh, Norton Grace Church, and I am going through licensure. I hope I have Bud in my room. Bud is a very nice guy. And so we we will make it through if Bud is there. If he's not, we will see, right? It will all be up in the air. But no, it be... It'll be great. I've loved what I've been able to do uh, there at the church. I am working with middle school and high school students, which if you have either them in your home currently or you've raised uh, kids in your life, that age group, you just never know what's going to happen week to week. It could be crazy. It could be fun. Uh, so I enjoy being able to hang out with them. The, the thing I'm passionate about with middle school and high school students is that they uh, not only understand the gospel, but they understand uh, the God's Word and understand what what the Bible is all about and so I love being able to meet with them, connect them, and do that. I am also married. I've been married for about four and a half years now to my lovely wife, Jessica. And about four months ago, four and a half months ago, we had our first kid named Corbin. So our first son, and he is doing awesome. He is sleeping eight to nine hours a night now. And so we're like, oh, praise Jesus. We are getting sleep. We feel normal. There's a rhythm. It is amazing. But, As there is awesome things in parenting, there are also moments where you're like, what in the world are we doing? What is going on? And our son, uh, he just had a cold about three weeks ago. It started. He just got over it. And I don't know if you've used this or if this was a thing back in the day or whatever it was, but he had congestion like just all throughout his nose. And you know babies, like they can't blow their nose. You can't give them cold medicine. It's just all nastiness and they're, it's just rough, okay? And so he's just hacking away and he's trying to breathe. And we got to the point where we had to use the snot sucker, right? You know the snot sucker? Yeah, we got the snot sucker, okay? And so we're we're, we're sucking snot out of his nose. And this thing, the traditional snot sucker is not working very well because he was just so congested. And so my wife, I love her to death and she is a resource. Researcher. She loves to go online. She loves to know what's up. She loves to look into things that are bigger and better, and what are we doing? She researched this new product, okay? This new product that is a snot sucker that apparently, it has kind of the bulb at the end of it, okay? has the bob at the end of it, but there's like a straw that comes up, and you're supposed to suck the snot out of the nose of your kid. It's, I saw it as a torture device. I'm like, this is terrible. This is awful. We got it. We used it. Eh, it was okay. But needless to say, as I looked at my son, now, it didn't go into my mouth. Like, this not, like, I got to clarify that. It was not eating the not. But as I looked at my son, I felt terrible for him because I'm like, buddy, You won't remember this, but I will, and and it feels torturous now, but it's really to help you out, okay? So that is my parenting, and afterwards, if you have any parenting advice, because I'll need it. I need some afterwards to see where we go from here. But I am extremely excited to be here with you this morning, and uh, Pastor Bud uh, said you guys were, were talking through Acts 2, okay? And I love that, because you're looking at the church and the beginnings of the church, and what was there? What did they do? What did Jesus leave them with? Where did they go? And so today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a 30,000-foot view, uh, the big view, the big vision of the church. And so we will get into Acts 2 just a little bit. We will get into Acts 1. So if you have your Bibles, I would turn to Acts 1. We're going to start there, and then there's going to be different passages that we hit. But the one thing that I want to draw out of this, basically two things I should say that we want to draw out of this, is what is the vision of the church? What is the vision of the church here in Rittman and across the world? What does Jesus leave us with? Now, I remember uh, I moved here in my ninth grade or the beginning of my ninth grade year of high school. I was not fond of moving to Ohio at that age. Uh, I I had all my friends, my family, they were all connected back where I used to live, and I uh, remember just thinking, why are we moving here? Why are we doing this? I don't like this. I'm going to have to meet a ton of new people. I was introverted, and so I'm like, I'm not about to go introduce myself, but we ended up moving. My dad got a job out here uh, in Ohio, and we moved three weeks before school started. Okay, and I remember uh, kind of getting moved in and then going to school And the first couple of days were really, really rough. You're like, I don't know anybody. They don't know me. It's kind of intimidating. Where do I go? What do I do? And I remember about a month to a month and a half in, I heard over the announcements that there was going to be a basketball open gym. Okay, basketball open gym. And I'm like, I'm a sports guy. Maybe if I got connected here in the open gym, I'll be able to meet new guys, be able to play a sport that I enjoy. And maybe that's how I'll get connected. Maybe that's my key in. And I remember the day came for the open gym to happen. I remember getting my stuff packed in the morning. And I remember telling my parents, hey, I'm excited about this. I'm going to go. They were cheering me on, encouraging me as I walked out the door. I remember going to school. Everything was great. The announcement said open gym was happening. It was golden. After school let out, I got my bag out of my locker. And I started to walk to where you would think the open gym would happen be happening the gym, right? So I walked to the gym in the high school. I opened up the door and no one's there, which for a new kid, any kid, it's their worst fear. Like, is it the wrong day? Is it the wrong time? Is it the wrong place? Where should I be? I remember looking in there and being like, where do I go from here? And so I caught the eye of a teacher, guidance counselor. I remember asking, where is the open gym? And they said, it is down across the parking lot. There's another elementary school. They have a gym. That's where you need to go so I remember okay we got this I know where that's at I walk down to the school I go into the school I'm kind of looking around for the gym I open the gym there's other high school guys there okay we're in the right place I remember going to the locker room we changed okay we got changed for basketball walked out and open gym started now if you've never been a part of an open gym basketball or maybe you've never been part of basketball in any sense Basically, Open Gym is the ability for you to just play a five-on-five regular basketball game and just kind of sub in and just see where everybody's at. Just play. Just kind of get in the rhythm of things. I remember I was a freshman, Okay, so there were other guys that had played basketball for a while. There were some like me that didn't play much, and I got to jump in. I finally got my chance to jump in, and I was running around. I was excited. I was excited to be running around. I'm a fast guy, so I'm like, we're going to do this thing. So I'm running around, I blocked a shot, which look at me, I'm like 5'10 maybe, and so blocking a shot was like amazing, I was like, okay, we're on a good start here, I threw some passes to guys, I made a couple shots, I was defending, well, I thought I had everything under control, and I remember there was one point in the open gym, one point in the open gym where I was down kind of in the paint area towards the basket, you know, and I was uh, defending a guy, boxing him out, kind of getting in there. I remember one of my teammates, as we ran back down the floor, he said, hey, we're not playing that style of basketball, okay? So make sure you're not in the paint. And I, I was like, what? Isn't that basketball? That's what I grew up knowing. I would get down in the paint. Like, that's how I played. I remember afterwards, I got done. I got all changed, ready ready right to leave. No one came up to me and encouraged me. None of the coaches, none of the players came up and said, glad that you are here. No one came and said, hey, those shots, those passes were amazing. And oftentimes, like my experience at Basketball Open Gym, that can be many people's experience coming to church, being a part of church. It's something that you walk into and you're like, I'm not really sure where things are supposed to be at. I'm not really sure what what's going on. I'm not really sure who anybody is. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do or what I'm not supposed to do. Like the experience that I had, church can become intimidating. It can be something where you walk in you're like, I just don't know what's going on. It can become confusing. Like, I'm here, but I'm not really sure what we're doing. I'm not really sure why. I don't even know where to go and where to be. It can become isolating, right? Is anybody else struggling like I am? I'm sitting in this seat, and I'm not really sure if anybody's going through what I'm going through. It can be an experience that hurts people, right? Sometimes churches can hurt people, and it can be an experience that sometimes we just get used to. I just get used to going to church, and so we lose the vision of what the church is supposed to be, the movement that in Acts 1, Jesus leaves us with, that we're going to read about here in a minute. So we view church sometimes like just a building, it's a museum or a classroom, it can become a service which provides entertainment for me. It can become a humanitarian organization, right? It's just something where we do good, and yes, we do do good, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but it can just become that, or it can become a social club. Are you a member of the club or are you not? Do you have the heart or do you not? And so it becomes something where you have to be on the end to be a part of. And in God's big story, which we see in the Bible, the church plays a significant role. We go from creation to the curse to where God made covenants with the nation of Israel, all the way to the cross of Jesus Christ. We see string through there. We see the beauty of what God created. It was destroyed in the curse. And we see God pursuing, pursuing, pursuing relationship with his people and ultimately redeeming that at the cross with Jesus so that what was lost at the curse can be redeemed and restored, I should say, in the church that God really gives us a second chance to live out what he created us for, the vision of what we're supposed to pursue in this life as a group of people that have said yes to Jesus and follow after Jesus. You're in Acts 1, 8. Okay, Acts 1, we're going to start in uh, verse 8. Jim read this already, and I think it's a great launching point. Great launching point into understanding the church, okay? But before I get there, before I get there, Jesus actually mentions the church uh, before we get to Acts, right? Acts is the big book that you want to learn about the early church. You pair back to Matthew 16, 18. Jesus refers to the church there, and he's talking to his disciples, and specifically he's talking to Peter. Verse 18, I'll read it for you. I think it's on the screen here if you want to take a look. It says this, And I tell you, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Listen, this is important. This is an important launching point. For us to understand the church, we have to understand that Jesus is going to build it. No human is building the church. It is only Jesus. He allows us to be a part of the church. He allows us to live out the mission and vision of what he is building and what he is putting into place. And so that should be an honor. That should be something that blows our minds. And as we fast forward, we look at Acts 1-8. It's also going to be on the screen, but you uh, might have it in your Bibles. This is where Jesus, like Jim said, he's going to go back up to be with the Father in heaven. And he's leaving his disciples, and this is what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. As be my witnesses. So what is the church? Big vision. This is 30,000-foot view of the church, okay? You can write this down. I'll try to sl- say it slow enough that you can write it down if you want to. The church is a new community of people who have said yes to Jesus. A spirit-powered people to be his witnesses. And lastly, a movement of people to the entire world. And that's what's stated in Acts 1.8, to the ends of the earth, and we are still finding ends of the earth that are not reached. And like Jim said, and that is amazing, but that's what God calls us to, is to reach those ends of the world. So it's a church. The church is a, com- a new community of people who have said yes to Jesus, a spirit-powered people to be his witnesses, and a movement of people to the entire world. The church literally means called out ones. So how is the church supposed to be witnesses in the world how are they, how are we supposed to live this out there's two big things I want to go over okay and we're gonna read a section from acts 2 so if you turn maybe a page over maybe on the same page acts 2 okay we're gonna we're gonna launch from there not to steal pastor Bud's thunder here I know you guys have been going through this and it's been amazing we're gonna spend a little time in here okay to launch us into the two big vision points and then from there we'll get rolling this is what it says in acts 242 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with all and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here's the first thing. I like to do big points. And so here's the first big point if you're writing down notes. Sorry, that's the second. Sorry. There we go. First big point. The church is called out to reflect his glory to the world. The church is called out to reflect his glory to the world. John Piper is a a pastor, and this is a quote that he said, Man was created from the beginning in God's image, that he might image forth God's glory. Say it again, man was created from the beginning in God's image, that he might image forth God's glory. We were created to give God glory in all that we do. Like that is what we were created for, that whether it is our time, whether it's our money, whether it's our energy, whether it's our family, our work life, that we were created to give that all back to God. And in everything we do that people see God in us, that we reflect what who God is and what he's all about. All right, here's an illustration I like to use. Um, we reflect God's glory, okay? So uh, the Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'm a big football junkie, and so I've been there a couple times, it's about 20, 30 minutes away in Canton, uh, Ohio. And so um, I've been there maybe two, three times and it is awesome. Now if you hate football, if you go, you'll hate football even more. Okay, So don't go. Just, it wouldn't be worth it. But if you love football, it's worth going too. But this is how I would illustrate us reflecting God's glory. When I walk in there, it absolutely blows my mind. The uh, statistics, the records, uh, these guys and what they put their life into, right? The, the, the talent, the gifts that they were able to put onto the football field. And you walk into a specific room and you see all kind of the, the statues of all the Hall of Fame players, They're all there lined up and get to walk by and see all the Hall of Fame players all the way back to the 20s, 30s, these amazing talents. And when you walk in there, I've never walked in there personally and walked up to one of the statues and said, you know what, you know what would make this guy better? You know what would make this this guy's statistics look better is if I added my senior year of high school stats to it. I had seven touchdowns. I had probably 700 yards receiving. I know I had over 40 catches. Right? If I added that to this, then he'll probably get more glory. He'll probably get more fame. He'll probably be better, and people will see him better. Right? That'd be ridiculous. The guy played for 15 years, and he had way more passing yards, way more receiving yards, whatever it may be. Now listen, that player, I might have his jersey, though. When I walk into the Hall of Fame or I walk around different cities and I wear his jersey, right, I'm reflecting his talent and gifts and what he put onto the field. And so people might ask me, like, hey, is that your favorite player? Yeah, it is. They might talk about the statistics. Hey, you remember when he caught that pass? Yeah, I do. And we talk about that moment, that I'm reflecting that player's glory that he had on the field. I cannot add to it. And that's what we do with God. We cannot add to his glory. We can't add to it. God is amazing. He's perfect. He's our creator. We can't add to his glory, but we can reflect that in how we live. So how how does that happen? There are two very applicable ways that I think uh, we can do that. The first way is this. We reflect God's glory in the way we respond to him. We reflect God's glory in the way that we respond to him. In verse 47, it says that the early church praised God. Here's the question. How big is your God? Because the amounts of worship you give to God, the amount of response that you give to God, Determines what you believe about God. What you do with your time, what you do with your life, with your family is directly related to responding to God's glory. We see in the early church, in Acts 4, they prayed big prayers because they believed their God was a big God. They came to God knowing He can do powerful things. Acts 5, they made bold stands because they believed God was a faithful God. In Acts 16, they sang loud songs even when they were in prison. Because they believed they had a God worth celebrating, even in the hard times. You see that in all the churches across uh, the New Testament. They responded to a big God. They responded to their Creator because they believed He could do anything. Because they believed He was leading this movement they were a part of. They believed that He could change anything. They believed that His will is where they wanted to be. It's not just Sunday singing. But it's an everyday worship, responding to God's grace, mercy, and love. How are you, how are you responding to God every day? In your generosity, in your sacrifice, and your praises, your prayer, and your witness for the gospel. Wake up and ask that. How am I responding to God every day? That's the first thing. The second thing, reflecting God's glory, we reflect God's glory in the way that we relate to each other. The way we relate to each other. We see in verses 42 to 47, Right? They broke bread together, they are singing praises together, they shared, they were in fellowship together. We reflect God's glory, his glory, by living in community. Ultimately, we love each other as if we were family, and we are family, being in Christ. In John thirteen thirty four thirty five, 35, Jesus says this, "...a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another." The new command is motivated by what Jesus did for us, so we do that for others. People will directly relate who God is by how they see us treating, first and foremost, our church family. If we're not cool with each other, if we're not able to forgive each other, if we're not able to have grace and generosity towards each other, the world is going to attribute that to the God that we believe in. And so Jesus here is like, love one another. I pursue loving each other. I don't just don't just circle up with those who have the same interest. I don't just circle up with those who like football. That's that's what I struggle with, right? All the guys that like football I circle up with. But because we believe in Jesus and we're part of this new family, we love everyone that's a part of the family. We we pursue forgiving everybody as a part of the family. We pursue having grace and mercy and sharing and sacrificing because they're part of the family. So we relate. To each other, and we respond to God. That's the first couple things. The second thing is this the second thing is that the church is called out to multiply His goodness in the world. We see that we reflect God's glory. We do that in two different ways. The second thing is the church is called out to multiply His goodness in the world. The church, uh, I'll recognize this, has not always been great at demonstrating the character of God throughout the years, right? Wars have been started because of the church. There have been different fragments that have, that have happened, different separations, whatever it may be. But in that, the character of God never changes. The love of God never changes. And we see in Acts 1, 1 through 2, verses 1 and 2, we'll go back. In my former book, this is Luke talking, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Jesus started and is letting us finish what he began. It says here what Jesus began to do and to teach in the church is to, is called to go out and multiply that goodness that Jesus started and we see in the gospels. Like the things that he did should blow our minds and the privilege that he gives us the chance to multiply that and what he started back in the Gospels is amazing. So how do we do that? Two very applicable ways, and then I'm done. We multiply his goodness by demonstrating his character in the world. We multiply his goodness by demonstrating his character in the world. Where do we find the character of God most visible? Jesus. We see that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see all the stories of who Jesus is. He's a physical embodiment of God, and when we look at him, we see the perfect character of God. Jesus ran into messes. He ran into messy situations, situations that were not comfortable, situations that that had pain and hurt tied to them, situations that those in need were crying out to him to help. Those that were on the fringes, those who were unloved, felt loved by Jesus. He ran to those people that the character of God fleshed out in how he multiplied goodness among those people that probably never experienced good in their life. Like, he ran towards them. He ran towards the woman at the well, the blind and sick people, Zacchaeus, even a demon-possessed man. Jesus is running into those messes to demonstrate God's character and the goodness of God. In John 14, 12, this is what Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. Here's the promise. Here's the promise. Jesus says, I have started this, and I am leaving. You're going to finish it. You're going to run and finish it. And he even boldly says that you're going to do more powerful things. You're going to do more greater things than I am. And that actually give us confidence yeah. running into situations that he's going to multiply his goodness through us. Here's the question I would tag to that. Does our community feel the goodness of God? Is our community better because we are here? Does the Ritman community feel the goodness of God from the church here? And that could be neighbors, that could be schools, that could be friends or families that we are connected to. Is the community here better because we're here? So that's the first thing. We demonstrate His character in the world. Second thing is this we multiply His goodness by communicating God's message to the world and communicate God's message to the world. Acts 1-8 is a perfect example. Jesus calls us to be witnesses. He calls us to live it out, but he also calls us to speak it out. Jesus wants us to action and to put words to his message. We see throughout the book of Acts that good news of Jesus is proclaimed. Acts 2, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. I would have loved to be there that day. That would have been awesome to see. Acts 5, even in persecution, the early church does not stop proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Acts 8, get down to an individual level. Philip and Ethiopian, right? they have a conversation. Ethiopian comes to know Jesus. In Acts 9 through 28, you see multiple examples, primarily with Paul traveling around, where Jesus' name is proclaimed. The good news of Jesus is proclaimed. People come to know him. 2 Corinthians 5, it's on the screen. You're welcome to turn there also. There we go. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, and then we'll wrap up here, okay? This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And he writes two letters. This is obviously the second one because of the two in front of it. But um, as he writes to them, he's giving them some vision for who they are as a church. And he's giving them some real hardcore applicable vision to what are we supposed to do? Who, who are we called? What are we called to do? He says this, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation gone, has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Now you say yes to Jesus. You come to know Jesus, the old is gone. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore, and I lean on this this verse, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are ambassadors. We are ambassadors of the reconciliation that we have received. You notice at the end, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. When we experience that, when we really experience the good news of Jesus, we'll want to express that to others. We want to say that to others. We want to tell others what God has done for us and he called us ambassadors. He says, I implore you. We implore you. We implore people to come to the understanding of, of what it means to be reconciled to God because they are separated currently. This is something I go through with um, with my students. I ask them this question, okay? And this is something we do at our church. Uh, we ask, who are your three? Who are your three, okay? Who are your three? Who are three people in your life that you have direct relationship with, okay, that you would talk to on a weekly, daily uh, basis, maybe your family members, friends, that do not know Jesus, That if today they were to die, they'd be separated from God for eternity. Who are three people in your life? Who are three people that you can run after? That you can eventually share the good news of Jesus with? That you start by praying for them? Praying for them on a daily basis that they would come to the understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them? That you start serving them? That you care for them? You say, I'm going to wrap my arms around you. I'm going to care when you're going through a hard time and then eventually that God gives you the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with them, that they'll spend eternity with you in heaven. Who are your three? Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's it's someone that you haven't seen in a while. Who are your three that you could share the good news with? Because the church is not just a building. It's not an event. It's not a service. It's not just a humanitarian project or, or gathering. It's a group of people that said yes to Jesus that are running after people that don't know who Jesus is and saying, we want you to know the reconciliation that I've experienced. We want you to know that Jesus died for your sins. He became sin so that you wouldn't have to suffer for your sins. The good news of Jesus is so fixated on the glory and the goodness of God. It was rooted in creation. It was redeemed at the cross, and now it's restored in the church. This church thing can sometimes become confusing, misunderstanding, and lose vision and sight for what Jesus left us with. But here's my challenge to you, okay? Here's my challenge. As you go out today, this week, okay, think of your three. Maybe just starting with one. I challenge my high school students sometimes. Who are, who's your one? There's one person that you can start intentionally pouring into. Right? Mine is my neighbor. Like who's who that one person? Mine's my neighbor right now. I talk to him almost daily. I get to I get to be able to share life with him. He knows. He obviously knows that we're a kid, right? And I want to share the good news of Jesus with him, so that he can spend eternity with God. Who's that one person? How can you wake up every day saying, "Am I glorifying God, reflecting God's glory, and multiplying His goodness as the church, not just a building, but as the people of God, pursuing the vision of what Jesus left us with?" Okay, that's my. That would be my challenge. As we move forward, as we go throughout this week, and I love being here with you guys. they are an awesome group of people. I love Pastor Bud and what he's doing here. Uh, and it's amazing. I don't get this all figured out. My challenge is together, how can we pursue the vision of the church, the 30,000-foot vision. I'm excited for what Pastor Bud's going to talk about next week with you guys, finishing up the series next too. But why don't you pray with me, and I'll hand it over to him. Gabby, thank you for who you are and all that you do. Thank you for your love and grace and God, I'm just amazed at... um, This is as Jim was talking. It's so neat to see missionaries, organizations, pursuing getting the good news of Jesus out into the ends of the earth. And as the church, the the body of believers, those who have said yes to Jesus, that I pray we would never lose sight of the vision. It's so easy to get caught up in in the events or in the service or in the do-good stuff that we lose sight of. We're here to give you glory how we treat each other, but also in how we respond to you. That we would be challenged this week to look and say, how are we responding to you in worship and time, in our finances, whatever it may be. God, I also pray that, that we'd be challenged to multiply your goodness. Sometimes it's so easy to be so self-focused, so easy to be about me, and I struggle with that on a daily basis, but God, that this week we'd be challenged to go out into our communities our neighbors, our friends, our, the schools that we're around, whatever it may be in Multiply, by just doing good, but also sharing the good news of Jesus. That it starts by praying. And it starts by showing others that we love them. And then finally, boldness to share the good news of Jesus with them. God, thank you for this vision. Thank you for who you are and all that you do for us, sending Jesus to die for us. We don't deserve it, but you are a good God. Thank you for watching your praise and your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at RitmanGBC at AOL.com.